I mean, that is our hope that they go through one of our interactive journals or hear one of our keynote speeches or attend one of our virtual events and hear the message that they are seen, they are loved, they are valued, and that they have a purpose greater than possibly what they can see for themselves at the moment. So that 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 is what we measure our success by. Well, friends, welcome back to the podcast. And do you notice the fancy sound that we got going on here? We are trying this out. My friend Scott Moore has created a few samples for me to try here to use in the intro and some other places in the podcast where we're transitioning into the interview and some spots like that. So we're giving this one a try today to just kind of see like, how does this feel here? And how does this feel all on the podcast? So thanks. Thanks, Scott, for working on this. Uh, and in a bit, I want you to get to meet my friend Miley, who you just heard briefly here in the intro. And some of what we're doing here on the podcast is I'm learning to do a better job with this of serving you all and understanding who's listening and, and how I can best be helpful for you. Well, one of the things that I'm doing is is I'm learning that like sometimes here we're having larger conversations about some things that, that I think are helpful. Sometimes we're gonna dip into some stuff that might feel a little bit like insider baseball, sort of church leadership kind of stuff that for some of you, you might be really interested in that. And some of you, you might be less interested in that. You might skip over those episodes. And, and then what I want to do as well is, especially for those of you who are engaged in leading in your church in some sort of way, maybe you're a pastor, an elder, a ministry leader, in some sort of way you're engaged in church work, I want to help you to know about and to connect with some of the resources that might be good for your church to engage in. And one of the things that that I've experienced is for those of you who are pastoring churches and you've gone through, you know, what we've talked about here on the podcast several different times in different ways, like your own sort of deconstruction process. And maybe you've led your church through that, or maybe you've gone through that and you're at the other side of it. And, and you birthed the church at the other side of that process. And and one of the things that I've seen happen in that is when a when a church is being birthed out of that or when a church is sort of going through that deconstruction, you kind of you turn inward for a while because I think that you need to in a lot of ways. And a church can become a little bit insular in that process. And then sometimes what begins to happen is you begin to try and figure out, like, well, how do we now engage in new and different ways in our city or in new and different ways around the world? We think about these things differently than we did before. And so one of the things that I want to do is I want to introduce you to a few organizations and people that maybe could be helpful for you as you think about, well, what are different ways for us to engage in our community? What are different ways for us to engage globally around the world? So next week, we're going to have my friend Todd Detheridge from an organization called Telos, and we'll be thinking a bit globally in that way. Today, we've got my friend Miley Waterman, who leads an organization called Brave Global, and thinking a bit more about how we engage locally and specifically in this conversation about how we engage locally, the work that Brave Global is doing around preventative care for human trafficking so that we can help stop some of the preying that happens on young girls that causes them to be taken in that direction. And so I do wanna give you a bit of a disclaimer here as we get going that we do talk about sexual exploitation. We don't get graphic in any kind of way, but 
for some of you, that might be a sensitive topic that, um, that maybe it'd be better for you to, that you just know, like, I just can't engage and listen in that for various reasons. And so just a heads up for you. And for some of you, maybe you listen to this with kids in the car, you got little kids around or you're listening to it in your office or something. And maybe that like, is just something that you want to be aware of and make decisions about where and how you're listening to it, but wanted to give you a heads up before we get into it all. So now cue the fancy transition music as we move over into the interview. I am excited for you all to get to meet a friend of mine, Miley Waterman. Miley serves as the CEO of Brave Global. She's also an event producer and a wife and a mom. And Miley, you used to live out in Long Beach, which is where we first met. And then you moved out to the desert. And so I'm talking <laughs> to you now out in, in Arizona. How's that been for you? Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yep, we just relocated to lovely Phoenix, Arizona. And now that the weather is cooling down, I'm loving it even more. <laughs> well, you had been a part of the church that I was serving at in Long Beach. And like we knew each other, but we didn't know each other very well. And then I was I was putting together this gathering for post-evangelical pastors and leaders. And you reached out and you said, hey, I, I know how to produce events. And from what I know of you, you don't know how to run anything. Like, can you <laughs> let me like help you run this thing? And you did and it was phenomenal and so helpful. But so I was curious, like before we get into, I want to talk to you about the work with Brave Global, the really important things that you all do. But before we get into all of that and, and share what Brave is, I was curious, like what sort of sparked in you that it was like, oh, this seems interesting and I want to want to help this this like event happen. Yeah, well, um, first of all, I didn't know for sure that you were not able to produce an event. I was just <laughs> <you> guessing. Learned. <laughs> I was really happy to be a part of that. And I think, you know, as an adult who's probably like many of your listeners have, has grown up in the church and I've had my own experience with the evangelical Christian culture and being brought up very churched, as they say, um, this last couple of years has brought on a lot of reflection and uh, deconstruction. You know, a lot of people are using that term right now, just in terms of their own faith and really kind of dissecting how it is that they've been brought up, the voices that they've been listening to, what they've been taught, and re-examining all of that. So when I heard that you were going to be holding basically a forum for pastors and leaders to really just be among each other and talk about those things. I was excited because I, I am leading in a, a space that is full of faith-based people and organizations. And just on my own journey of re-examining my faith, I thought it would be amazing to be a fly on the wall and also help you a little bit, get the event together. It was fun. Yeah, it was, it was super fun. And genuinely, I've told you this before, but like it would not have happened well without you. I'd be curious to know, as somebody who is there, who isn't pastoring a local church, like, what did you sort of, like, leave with? What what sort of, like, stuck with you from that? I think there was a lot of affirmation that there are more of us out there. And when I say more yeah. of us, I think that a lot of people showed up 
to that gathering thinking that they might be alone or maybe in the spaces that they're leading or pastoring or serving, they feel alone in their um, new faith walk or their new journey or their deconstruction. And so I was really encouraged when I left to have seen the unity among all of these people, most of whom came and just met a bunch of strangers. And they looked around the room and said, wow, there are more of me out there. And I think that there was a just a feeling of belonging and acceptance and like, okay, I'm not alone. Mm, that's good. I was just telling Allison the other day, like I was reflecting on that event and I didn't, I, I was telling her this, I didn't mean this in like a negative way. I said, I wonder if I'll ever do anything that's more significant than what happened over those two days. And not in like, I've peaked and there's nothing more, but as like, this moment where there is all these people who weren't connected, who didn't know each other and just had this moment of a sense of belonging connection and feeling like, Oh, there, there are more of me. And like that, that kind of moment won't happen again because now folks know each other. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you ask me and I've told you and the leadership team that worked on it before, like, I think this is just the beginning of these kinds of gatherings. And I think that it's, just an incredible space that you created and provided and the team that we had, everybody just did such an amazing job. So I was really stoked to be a part of that and I want to do more. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, I'm going to hold you to it. And okay. in the, uh, when the annals of church history are being written, Miley Waterman will have a special uh, place in what happens in this era. So Yay. yeah, thanks for all of that. <laughs> but that's, that's not why I, br- I didn't bring you on to like, pump me up or pump up what we were doing there. I wanted to get to talk to you a bit about Brave and for people to know the like really important work that you all are doing. And so do you mind just sharing a little bit about like, what's the like, what's the elevator pitch for for Brave Global and the work that you do? Yeah. So Brave Global is a strategy to empower the most vulnerable youth in order to stop exploitation and trafficking. That's our mission statement. So we basically try to connect with youth who are what we see as the most vulnerable. Of course, I always say all kids are at risk, but really on paper, there are kids from communities like the foster care system, juvenile justice, probation, broken homes, of course, you know, just communities that are more at risk than others for exploitation and trafficking. And so we try to equip communities to get to those kids first and make them their priority. And we want them to just provide them with a message of empowerment and hope and purpose. We want them to understand that we see them and they matter. We always say that Brave just tries to get to these vulnerable youth before the pimps and the perpetrators do, because the fact is that they're the most at risk of being exploited. And if we can equip their caregivers and their communities to really reach out to them and to sustain relationships with the people that they're caring for, the people whose caseloads they're on, we really feel like we can make an impact in their lives and keep them from going down a track or a trajectory that they might otherwise go down. So yeah, we we do live empowerment events. We create a lot of online content that is all survivor-led. We have curriculum produced for small groups and individuals. So we do a lot of different things, but that is our strategy to empower those kids. Yeah. I mean, it's such like important work that you're doing. And I like thinking about kids coming out of the foster care system was really um, piqued my interest in some ways because I think 
like the church that you and I had been involved with for so long, Long Beach had such deep roots and ties in caring for the foster care system and realizing like, oh, these kids are actually incredibly vulnerable for, for not just like, I'd always thought about here are kids who are growing up without a stable home. There's something really important about their future trajectory, about them being in a stable home, knowing that they're loved and all of that. I I don't know why I'd never connected the dots between the way that a kid in that system could be exploited. Do you mind just kind of talking a little bit about like what happens in the foster care system? Yeah, well, the the truth is that kids who like the ones that we target are ages 12 to 18, we say, of course, it can skew a little bit younger, a little bit older. But when you are when you are a child in the foster care system and you are entering those teenage years, the truth is that you're much likely you're much less likely to find a forever home. People don't want to typically adopt teenagers. They usually want to adopt and foster babies and small children that they can mold and form and raise up in their family. And so by the time you're a teenager, you've been moved around a lot. You likely have had um, many issues. Maybe some of them have morphed into behavioral issues. Maybe there's mental wellness issues because of all of the trauma that you've experienced. And so because of that, these kids are most often plagued with a lack of purpose, a lack of identity, feeling unwanted, of course, because on paper, nobody wants them. Nobody's caring for them. They're literally moved around at that age, like every 30 days sometimes from home to home, maybe to a group home with a trash bag full of stuff. Like that's all they have to their name. So you can understand all of these things, how they can, you know, just do a number on your psyche and your self-worth and your self-esteem. So what happens is people who want to do them harm, pimps, perpetrators, people who want to exploit them, make money off of them, they go after these kids who are already feeling like nobody wants them. And we see often that they're telling them, hey, I can help you. I can provide for you. I can provide a better way for you. Stick with me. And they end up becoming exploited or trafficked or worse. Um, These kids from from the foster care system as you know, are very, very at risk for being homeless, which is also another gateway into trafficking and exploitation. So a lot of things come into play when you're dealing with that particular age group and when they come from the foster care system. Uh, When we first started this as a grassroots effort in Long Beach, there was a statistic that we came to know for the LA County that is true now for most major markets. And it says that out of the girls that have been uh, rescued from human trafficking, ages 12 to 18, 70, 80 percent of them are from the foster care system. Oh, my gosh. 70 to 80 percent of them are from the foster care system. So that's a staggering statistic when you think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So like what is it that's helpful for girls in that age group? You you do preventative work so that you get to them before. How did you say it? The, the pimps and the perpetrators perpetrators thank you i knew it was two p's so you get to them before the pimps and the perpetrators do like what is it that you're finding is helpful for girls in that age range to to not end up being exploited well the way that we do it is we coach and release communities we basically connect with a community and oftentimes it's a church sometimes it's a public school sometimes it's a group home and we give them the resources to connect with these girls so the thing is all of these kids are on somebody's caseload 
every, every one of these kids in the system has somebody who's tracking them. So if we can get to those caregivers, those social workers, the teachers, the foster parents, anybody who is caring for these kids, um, then they can get to them with this message of hope and empowerment. So we have a bunch of tools created for just empowerment events, small groups, curriculum. All of these are written by um, survivors, people who have experienced either exploitation, bullying, coming from a broken home, foster care. We have uh, so many different women who have just stepped up to the plate and said, I want to help get this message to these young girls. So we really uh, encourage the community not to be afraid to link arms with the local systems like the law enforcement, probation, foster care. We say, okay, if you want to be a brave community, here's what you do first. You get in touch with these people who have these kids on their caseloads and do any one of these things. Sometimes it's not going to be a huge empowerment event like some of our chapters do. Sometimes it's going to be just taking a box of donuts to the social workers meeting and letting them know that you're there for them. Or maybe it's holding a small group at your church or your school. So there's a lot of different ways that they can get to these kids. Yeah. So it sounds like it's really community oriented that it's about mm -hmm. a group of people coming around in some sort of way. So in some sort of way, it sounds like you said every every one of these kids has a a caseworker. So in some sort of way, they're, they've got some sort of connection with somebody who has some kind of responsibility for them. What What's the gap that creates the need between like there's a person who is supposed to be caring for them and that they end up feeling maybe unwanted, feeling like or being taken down some other sorts of paths where they're being provided for, cared for, seen, noticed, like, what's the gap that, do you, does that make sense? I know I'm not being super clear. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I, what, this started out as a grassroots effort out of a local church, my church that you helped to equip and release Revive Church in Long Beach. And this was an effort that was born out of a need for the church to navigate that line between church and state. We came to know these statistic by, statistics by a woman from our congregation. She said, we can't look away. We have to do something. And the pastors said, yes, okay. So what, do you, what should we do? And so it took about a year, but we reached out to law enforcement and probation. We reached out to the local DCFS and they were like, what this is like a bunch of church ladies are you guys going to do something weird and we were like no we just want to get with you so we can get to these girls who are on your caseloads to empower them and so what 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 we found out as what we were doing started catching on and we had churches as big as mariners down in orange county and mega church if you're familiar with them reach out to us and say we want to do what you're doing how do you do that and we tell them we told them and we tell all of our church partners now like you just can't be afraid to reach out to the government agencies and the people that are caring for these girls and not be afraid to, to navigate that line between church and state they need to see the church the local church as one of their first responders. If every church could do that, I think that gap would get smaller and smaller and smaller. I can't remember the statistic, but there's a certain number of churches in the U.S. and a certain number of foster youth. And it's like if every church just fostered or adopted one to two children, every church in America, this problem would be totally eradicated. And so mm. I really do think that... Uh, 
there are so many things that could contribute to more success. But one of the things that I feel like could lessen the gap is that the local church just stepped up and wasn't afraid to be a first responder and work with the government agencies in their local area. Yeah. And so if a church was interested in that, is that something that what you all do is you help them learn, like, here's the process, here's here's shortcuts, here's conversations to have, uh, you all exactly. provide those sorts of resources? We do. Yeah. We have um, a whole manual of how to get started from reaching out to those local agencies and government, how you do that effectively, what to do, what not to do. Very, very simple ways that you can become engaged as a church or a school or as a community with these people, foster that relationship and nurture it to the point where they trust you enough to host an event where they send their foster youth and their juvenile justice kids, a a trust that is built on them seeing that you're not trying to do anything weird, but you're just trying to care for the kids in your community so that their path is brighter. Yeah. So you keep talking about survivors. Do you mind describing what a survivor is? And then are you able to share appropriately, like in ways that, you know, obviously I'm sure you have to protect some people's identities and stuff at times, but are you able to share anybody's story? Yeah. When when we say survivor, what we usually mean is a survivor of sex trafficking. So we have, like I mentioned, a bunch of materials and content and curriculum that we've created. We would never want that written by a woman who hasn't gone through any of these things because we want our the kids that we serve to be able to identify with whoever is speaking to them through these books or on the stage, et cetera. So we really try our hardest to have all of our content uh, and our speaking, our videos be survivor led. And sometimes depending on the subject, it's not a survivor of sex trafficking. It's a survivor of bullying or a survivor of another difficult situation that's been overcome, but usually it's sexual exploitation. And we have so many different stories. We just released a non-curriculum based book. It's a, it's a compilation of survivor stories called Brave in Real Life. Um, you can find it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. But this is a story of nine brave women who have overcome sex trafficking and exploitation. And there are so many different stories in there. One of the women dealt with an immigration issue. She was commercially sexually trafficked uh, across country lines. There are several different types of stories. Um, One of them, and I think it's the most common type of trafficking that we see, is a woman actually from Long Beach. She's a good friend of ours now. She was trafficked with what we call using the Romeo method. And so that's somebody that poses as your boyfriend and understands that your home life, you're not getting shelter, you're not getting fed, you're coming from a broken home, maybe your parents are addicts, there's a huge need there. And they swoop in, they pose as your boyfriend for as long as it takes until they can snatch you up and take you somewhere. In her case, she was taken to Vegas and trafficked for a while there. And there are so many other stories like that where a girl is promised a job or an opportunity, maybe it's modeling, maybe it's work, maybe it's uh, money that they need to send back to their family who's struggling. There are so many different ways that pimps prey on these women, but they pose first as their boyfriend or their Romeo, and that's how they hook them. That's most common. Yeah. And then what about like when they get out of that? Are there like common threads of that? Or even like how did this particular woman end up finding her way out of that? You know, 
This particular woman came into contact with one of our other partner agencies in Long Beach Gems Uncovered. And there are so many agencies like that who are doing the the rescue work, the important work of what happens after these uh, women have been exploited. So she was able to connect with them and get aid. A lot of these organizations like GEMS, they provide education, they provide a diversion program if women are facing any jail time or legal issues. So there are a lot of organizations that can help them get out of that. What we see though, oftentimes is there's a cycle. They you know, they get help for a little bit and then they go back to whatever they were doing because a lot of times what is called survivor sex happens and it's women that are choosing to go back to the life, quote unquote, because that's the only way that they're going to be able to survive financially, feed their kids, et cetera. So I'm, I'm just, I'm happy to be affiliated with Gems Covered and so many of the agencies like Exodus Cry, A21, um, so many of them that are doing the hard work of dealing with these lives after they've been exploited. Yeah. And uh, so your work is hoping that like there's less survivors, not because there's less people getting out of it, but because there's less people moving into it. Yeah, exactly. So if, if like a church or another organization, maybe somebody that's involved with a school or something is like, oh, I, we want to, we want to help in this area. We don't know exactly what to do. What would be some, what would be some next steps that you would encourage? Like a church calls you up and says like, Hey, we know, we care about the foster care system. We care about kids that are potentially going to have the potential to be exploited. We want to help stop those things before they actually happen. Like what, what do we do? Yeah, I would say that if it's a church or a school, a place that has like a large amount of kids at one time, a large audience, um, I would say the very first thing is, even though it, it might seem seem like a young age to talk about this, trafficking is happening younger and younger. So you got to get in front of them with like what we call a human trafficking 101. So like they need an assembly or a class or a course where a trained adult or official goes over all of this with them, tells them that this is even a risk, tells them that they are vulnerable no matter who they are or if they're in foster care or Part of the juvenile justice system, all kids are at risk in some way, shape, or form, and no matter where they live, I believe. So that's the first thing is getting to them in with this message that this is even out there and what the signs are of a potential perpetrator or trafficker, who not to engage with, what you do if you think that you're being targeted. And then, you know, beyond that, as far as Brave Global goes, and there are there are other organizations like us, but for us we would be able to equip you with even further empowerment tools. So again, like you're saying, we're more of a preventative measure. So for younger kids, in order to prevent this, we really feel like it starts with empowerment, understanding who they are, that they have a purpose. We feel like that's the, that's a huge prevention method in keeping these kids from getting trafficked. Do you mind sharing a little bit of like, what does success look like then for you all or even whether you have a story of what that looks like or here's pictures of what we hope would be true of some of the girls that go through our program. We would just hope that, you know, that they would hear a message and you can't, you, you can't underestimate the power of just even one message or one sentence. I think all of us can remember a time in our life, maybe when we were at summer camp or in a classroom where somebody said something to us and you'll never forget that message. Mm-hmm. I think that 
that can happen on a negative basis, but it can also happen in a, on a positive note as well. So I think that, you know, we can't underestimate when girls hear this message, either from one of our keynote speakers, one of our video series, or in one of our books, that that's not going to be something that they hang on to. I mean, that is our hope that they go through one of our interactive journals or hear one of our keynote speeches or attend one of our virtual events and hear the message that they are seen, they are loved, they are valued, and that they have a purpose greater than possibly what they can see for themselves at the moment. So that 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 is what we measure our success by. Uh, we have an interactive journal on all about identity that was written by um, Lisa Barnes, who was in 37 foster home placements by the time she was 18. So it's written from you know, somebody who has a background of feeling totally displaced, no functional relationship with her biological parents. Our second journal was written by Cheryl Nemhard. It's called This Is Us, and it's all about healthy relationships and boundaries in every circle of your life. And we have another one coming out called Through It All, and that's all about mental wellness. And so all of these pieces of curriculum are really interactive. It's a lot of reflection, a lot of writing. You can do it on your own, or you can um, do them in a small group setting, which is also really effective. So a lot of tools out there, but we, that, that's the success, is that the, the girls hear these messages. I love that, like, one, that there's this, like, speaking words of life over over girls, I love though that also like it that you all have things that move beyond just like we need we need sometimes that like that message of life we need sometimes that like person that says like I see this in you and then we also need tools and resources that move us beyond that like sometimes like that can break our thinking but we need some sort of like tangible like but what do I what do I do with this how do I live that out and so I love that you all have that, that you're thinking about it at those sort of like multiple layers that this speaking words of life, but also like we actually want to help and we have tools and resources that can help walk you through this so that we're not just, we're not just giving you, we're not just like pumping you up, giving you rah-rah, but we're actually like helping you take next steps. Yeah. I'm really yeah. grateful you do that. Thank you. I mean, these kids are not often kids who have the opportunity to go to a conference like you and I have been to mm. thousands of conferences and been spoken into and given life by the words of other people. And they don't often have time or books and, and things like that to, to get them through a lot of this stuff. So I think that it's we just can't underestimate the messages in in all of these things. You can't love that. Well, Miley, if there's church leaders who are listening to this and want to get connected, want to learn more about Brave, want to support the work that you're doing, want to figure out how to have a conference, want to even just begin a conversation about like what would it look like to to have you all uh, be engaged in what they're doing locally? How do they find you? How do they get in contact? What does that look like? We would love to coach any church leader, school leader, anybody who's caring for kids on how to be a brave community or chapter. So what you would do if you're interested, you would email us at info at braveglobal.org. Our website is braveglobal.org, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Contact us, DM us, get in touch however you can, and we will assign you a coach and walk you through what it means to be brave. Miley, thank you so much for making time today. I'm genuinely, I love the work that you're doing. It's really important. It's really, there's been a lot of, a lot of conversation over the last decade about dealing with human trafficking. 
which has been significant and needed to highlight it. But I'm really inspired by the work that you all are doing to say like, well, what if we can have the conversation before that and keep kids from going down that path and paying attention to like what the things are that that would cause kids to go down that path. So anyways, thank you so much for that incredible work that you're doing. I hope folks will connect with you over Brave Global. Thank you for having me, Mike.